only one thing, and that it's time for Rick's Tech Talk. Good morning, Cousin Rick. Good morning, RT. How's the weather there in Needham, Massachusetts? Oh, it's going up to 90 in humidity today with thunderstorms rolling through this afternoon. Oh, wow. Well, it sounds like you might want to have a nice cool right of the week uh, with good traction. Oh, that's right. We have a cool ride of the week, and it does have good traction because it has all-wheel drive. Uh-huh. It's the Lincoln Corsair. Now, in recent weeks, we've driven all of the Lincoln SUVs. The Navigator, which is the big one, the Aviator, next size down, the Nautilus, and now the, the baby one, the small one, the Lincoln Corsair. Okay? Mm-hmm. And... It's got a, we'll go through the specs here, it's got a 2.3 liter turbocharged I-4 four-cylinder engine hooked up to an eight-speed automatic transmission. Okay, now you can also get a two-liter engine of 250 horsepower. The 2.3 liter turbo engine has 295 horsepower, but with the eight-speed automatic transmission, it gets decent mileage. The EPA numbers are 21 miles per gallon city, 28 highway for a combined number of 24 miles per gallon. That's for the 2.3 liter turbocharged engine. And the computer was telling me I was getting up right around the 28 miles per gallon for the high, on highway rating. And another outstanding feature of the car is that it's five-star safety rated. It's got a five-star safety rating, so you know you're safe. And it's uh, you have drive modes for uh, mud, snow, normal driving, performance driving, and conserve driving, which is more the, uh, the eco setting for, for getting better mileage. And ours comes in flight blue, which looks more like a gray to me, a dark gray. And it has sandstone leather interior. Okay. And it's got, it even has a spare tire in the back. Nice to know that, that you don't have to deal with an inflating kit. And it's got a, a head-up display, which I enjoyed. It seemed to be... Uh, a good display that I could lower the intensity at night, but it was good enough that I could even use it wearing polarized sunglasses during the day. And, uh, you know, back on the roads, back there in upstate New York, it was handling the curves fine. It, uh, it had, uh, you know, privacy windows, dark windows in the back, which... Kind of, it, it seems a little too dark for me looking at it. it kind of looked like a, a miniature hearse. But uh, that's just my taste. The, uh, the base price of this was $45,000 with the options of around $12,000. Coming out around, uh, with the delivery, around $58,000. But there was a discount of $750 listed on the, uh, on the sticker here. So I guess they were having a deal when they came up uh, with this one vehicle. And uh, the, the only negative feature I had was I was trying to set the trip odometer, and it wasn't intuitively obvious how to do it. I was scrolling through screens, doing this, that, and the other, and I said, well, you 
was supposed to read the manual. So I go to the manual, and the manual tells me all the features I can call up, but not really how to get them. So I had to bumble around in the uh, playing with the controls on the steering wheel, and I finally got it. But it, uh, that's my, my one big negative on the car. But other than that, it's a fine ride. You get that Lincoln luxury. All right, so that's the ride of the week. Right. All right, and uh, anything else automotive today? Yes. Our friends at IC Cars have come up with a listing of what they call hot cars. Now, these aren't cars that are being stolen or anything, but these are cars that uh, 2019 and 2020 models that are selling more used than they are for a new car because uh, much of the uh, many of these vehicles the, the chip shortage has produced a shortage of new vehicles so people are will if they want a car a particular vehicle they're willing to pay more for a used vehicle than a new one because they can get it right away and some of those uh, vehicles include the uh, well first of all the average used car sells for in that time period 2019 2020 sells for about three percent less than a new vehicle but the the top vehicle is the kia telluride that's selling for eight percent more than a used one because they're very popular and they're hard to get and some of the other vehicles on the list include the gmc sierra truck the toyota tacoma truck the Mercedes-Benz G-Class, which is a real high-end uh, vehicle, and the Toyota RAV4 Hybrid. So you can see it's uh, it's not any one class of vehicles, but it's uh, across the board. If the vehicle is is popular, but its uh, production is cut back, and some of the uh, the performance cars include the Dodge Challenger and the Dodge Charger. And you also have the Honda Odyssey uh, minivan, which is selling more used. And even the Kia Rio subcompact car. So uh, an interesting time in the automotive market. Hmm. All right. So uh, let's see. Do you have a Musk Minute for us by any chance? Oh, we've got a Musk Minute. We've, we've always got a Musk Minute. And uh, Elon says that the... We know we have this Starship uh, and the booster system, the super heavy booster that's going to launch the Starship into orbit. Elon says that the final design of the super heavy booster is going to have 33 Raptor engines, and the final design of the Starship upper stage will have nine engines. It's the Starship's going from six to nine engines, and the super heavy booster is going from about 29 to 33. So I imagine when this thing is fully stacked and taking off, it's going to make some racket. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know how the Saturn V was uh, quite a noisy vehicle for, within a couple miles of the launch, and if they're going to launch this from Texas from the town of uh, Boca Chica. They're going to set those houses a-rumbling. That's for sure. Right, right. Right. 
Now, you remember, no, uh, I don't know if you remember the first flight of the Saturn V with, uh, I don't know if you even remember Walter Cronkite covering that for CBS News. Yeah. And he was there in the CBS trailer at uh, Cape Canaveral, or I think it was Cape Kennedy still back then, and the rocket goes off, and he's like three miles in the trailer covering the launch, and all of a sudden he says the ceiling panels are coming in. They're falling down because there's so much noise and vibration. So I imagine this super heavy booster is going to uh, shake, rattle, and roll. And they are actually uh, planning on launching that from Boca Chica? Yeah, at least the first, uh, I guess the first test flights. They're also looking to launch these things from, uh, like, ocean platforms to, uh, I guess, alleviate the noise concerns. Right, yeah. Huh, okay. And uh, That's a big rocket to launch from a platform. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, uh, what else do you have for us today? Well, Richard Branson's announced that uh, starting July 11th, the window is open for the first flight of Virgin Galactic's uh, passenger flight into space with the, the Unity 22. It'll be the 22nd flight of the Unity vehicle. It'll have two pilots and four passengers, or as they're calling them, mission specialists, one of whom is Richard Branson, and the other three are uh, people connected with Virgin Galactic and various uh, aspects of the company and their astronaut, what they call their astronaut program, to get the full experience, so to help them uh, guide the company further along in uh, sending uh, people into space. And uh, so it, it's kind of setting up a competition with Jeff Bezos, who wanted, uh, was thinking he would be the first billionaire into space on July 20th, the, the day of the first moon landing that uh, his Blue Origin rocket, the new Shepard rocket, is set to launch with him and a few other people aboard. So we, we could have a dueling billionaire competition here. But uh, I, I just saw a picture of uh, it had a, uh, Virgin Galactic released a picture of Richard Branson and the three other passengers and the two pilots. And if you look quick at the picture, the two pilots are wearing like blue coveralls, but the mission specialists have like a, a two-tone blue uniform with what looked like a, a hole cut in the leg, like, uh, you know, these tattered jeans, but then... But then looking closely, it's just like a little tan, irregular-shaped patch on the thigh. It, I thought they're first trying to be cool and have a, uh, you know, a tattered spacesuit to set a fashion trend. But it, uh, they should have had, like, maybe another color so it doesn't look like you, you, you know, you have a hole in your pants. <laughs> yeah, curious. Okay. Yep. Fashion in space. Right, but speaking of space again, over the weekend, the two of the uh, Chinese astronauts, or as they call them, taikonauts, did a spacewalk on their space station to install some equipment on the outside of the station. So things are moving along in uh, mm. the Chinese space program. It was the first spacewalk that the Chinese have done since 2008. And the first uh, dual 
little spacewalk with two uh, two people outside the station. All right. Um, what else do you have for us? Okay, we've got something from the Korean Institute of Civil Engineering and Building Technology, and they've come up with a new membrane to do desalinization of uh, salt water to fresh water. And basically, it's a membrane. Uh, previous membranes would have a material that repels water. So on one side of the membrane, you heat up water, and the water vapor that forms goes through the membrane and then condenses to, f to form fresh water. The seawater stays on the hot side and the fresh water is on the cool side. The only thing is that after a while the membrane clogs with salt and you have to replace it, but they've come up with a new membrane that has a longer life and it, it not only has the fibers that repel the water and allow the water vapor through, and then it's condensed, but it also has an insulating material in there so that the cold side doesn't heat up as quickly. And because of the temperature difference, you can push more water vapor through before it clogs up with salt. So that uh, that's something that might uh, come in handy in the, in the future. Although there's been some thinking that you have a, a large desalinization plant, you end up taking some of the waste material from there, and it may generate more pollution locally and change the salinity and change the fishery in the area. So that's another concern that we have to worry about. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, anything else you have for us? Okay, yeah, we have a... Uh, a new technology from a company called Vibersonic Hearing, and it's a hearing aid that rather than uh, having like a little speaker that you put in your ear from a, uh, a processor and a microphone behind your ear, you actually have the speaker that sits on the eardrum, and they claim it's more efficient and there's less... Um, Oh, time lag in certain sounds, and you don't have wind noise from the wind blowing in your ear. Although I would think you still have wind noise going across the microphone on the back of your ear. It, uh, and then also, I was wondering. They said, "Well, you can put this in the uh, in, on the eardrum, and it stays there." But I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how long do you have to keep it in before you get some wax buildup and? and maybe lose some efficiency. So there might be some bugs to work out on this thing. Right, right. Um, anything else you have for us? Yes, finally, from out your way, University of California at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. yeah, you hung out there, didn't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> in the day. <laughs> in the day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Free speech movement and all that? Yeah, all that. I yeah, all that. Right. Okay. Well, they've come up with a, an implantable sensor. It's very small. It's maybe the size of a couple millimeters by a couple millimeters. They said the size of a ladybug. And this would be a sensor that you would 
would say implant with, say, you do an organ replacement. You put the sensor on the organ, and it works with a little piezo crystal that the body movement generates power that would run sensors such as an oxygen sensor, a little LED to sense oxygen in the implanted organ. And then it also uses the electricity to generate ultrasound, which will pass through the body and out that you can detect the oxygen level in the implanted organ to determine if the implant is successful months down the road. And so you could either have a sensor that would monitor it directly or go in every couple of weeks and they would, you know, hook up a sensor to your, your belly, say, or your, the part of your body, and the ultrasound would give it the oxygen reading that uh, how well your implant is doing because if they used electromagnetic waves, it doesn't penetrate skin and tissue very, very deeply. It's only uh, on the surface of the skin, whereas we know that ultrasound, you can image the inside of the body using ultrasound, as they do in quite a few medical applications. You can do, uh, you know, fetal Im imaging and also uh, electrocardiograms, and so they're using ultrasound from the inside out, which is kind of an interesting concept. Is that a wrap for today? That's a wrap for today. We've got a, I guess we got a short work week, and we also got a little shorter tech talk. Okay. Okay, well, very good. But Glad we could get together. Glad we could get together. Okay, so that was Cousin Rick calling in from Needham, Massachusetts, with Rick's tech talk, a regular feature of the Newtopian Dream. 